everybody's feeling today. Good. today for your wisdom, your kindness to us, your love for us. We pray that you'd help us, Lord. Help us to love you. Help us to listen to you. Help us to embrace who you are. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. Go ahead and have a seat. 
when these last few days of Jesus' life on earth before he is crucified, he has silenced the religious leaders, most recently the Sadducees, but he doesn't let them just wander off. He follows up with a question concerning their doctrine and disbelief concerning who he is. In verse 41, while the Pharisees were gathered together, Jesus asked them a question. Now, the religious leaders have been trying to trick Jesus. They were trying to trap him in his words, to ask a question that would turn people against him or catch him saying something that would either discredit him or be a reason to put him to death. They've been unsuccessful in that, but that's what they're attempting to do. But in that, he has confounded them each time. And now as these hostile and angry leaders are gathered together, Jesus turns the table. He asks them a question. Verse 42, saying, what do you think about the Christ? Whose son is he? And they said to him, the son of David. Let's just pause at the first part of that. What do you think about the Christ? What do you think about the Christ? This is going to be the most important question that you will deal with in your entire life. What do you think about the Christ? There's no question with more at stake than this one. And so as we work through this, we're going to be doing that, coming back to this question. What do you think about the Christ? Jesus continues and says, whose son is he? In other words, he's asking these teachers of the law, from what great person is the Messiah descended? Who does he come from? Where and how does he come? And he expects them to draw their answer from the scripture here, and they do. Not fully, but they do, because they give the common answer, the son of David. And that's true. Jesus has already been referred to as the son of David on multiple occasions, a title he does not dismiss or deny. In Matthew 20, verses 30 and 32, behold, there were two blind men sitting by the roadside, and when they heard that Jesus was passing by, they cried out, Lord, have mercy on us, son of David. The crowd rebuked them, telling them to be silent, but they cried out all the more, Lord, have mercy on us, son of David. And stopping, Jesus called them and said, what do you want me to do for you? Jesus doesn't deny the title, even as, even as those around them were, were chastising them and telling them to be quiet for using such language. Jesus doesn't deny it. In fact, he affirms and embraces and proves that he is the son of David by what he does. He heals them. Not only that, but when Jesus rode into Jerusalem on the back of a donkey, the multitudes cried out, Hosanna to the son of David. Jesus accepted these praises. But the question is, in what sense is that true? In what sense was Jesus the son of David? Verses 43 and 44, he said to them, How is it then that David, in the spirit, 
calls him Lord, saying, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I put your enemies under your feet. He shows that David himself speaks to this and reveals that it means much more than merely earthly descendant. The verse that Jesus points to is what we read earlier in the service from Psalm 110. And this question is effective because Jesus knows that the Pharisees accept the premise that David wrote Psalm 110 inspired by the Holy Spirit. They actually believe that. They believe that David wrote those words by the power of the Holy Spirit. Many Jews understood Psalm 110 to be a messianic psalm, which means it's a psalm written about the coming Messiah, about the Christ. So what is Jesus showing? What Jesus is showing that David is saying is that the Christ is not merely David's descendant. He's far greater than that. He's David's Lord. God the Father is saying to the Christ, sit at my right hand. Saying to the Messiah, the son of David, sit at my right hand. It's a sign and picture of absolute triumph over every foe. He is Lord, not just of David, but he is Lord of all. Revelation 22, the end of all things in verse 16. I, Jesus, have sent my angel to testify to you about these things for the churches. I am the root and the descendant of David, the bright morning star. There are questions that the Pharisees and any who seek to love the Lord their God with all of their heart, with all of their mind, with all of their soul, must act as they ask as they interact with the scriptures. Questions we have to ask, things we ought to think through and wrestle with. And Jesus is leading to them to ask those questions. They knew this text. They believed that David had written it by the power of the Spirit, but they hadn't interacted with the, te the text and asked the questions they should ask. Questions that we should ask. Why did King David, by God's Spirit, predict the coming of one whose reign would exceed his own? One who would sit at God's right hand until God vanquished his enemies. He would have a mighty scepter, it says in Psalm 110, until he ruled his enemies. And how, Jesus is asking, or getting them to ask, how could David call this person Lord if he is David's son? And since they know the scripture, Psalm 110 goes further. So this Lord is also a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. There's no son of David who's a priest in Aaron's line, and Melchizedek had no heirs, so why? And how is that possible? Jesus is getting them to ask deep, good questions about the text. 
And any of us who long to love the Lord our God with all of our heart, with all of our mind, with all of our soul, ought to do the same thing. Not just read it and gloss over it, but ask questions. What does this say? What does this mean? It goes on in verse 45. If then David calls him Lord, how is he his son? How's that possible? How can both things be true? Jesus is asking, how can he be David's son and be David's Lord? Paul writes concerning this in his intro to, the Ro- to Romans. It says, concerning his son who was descended from David according to the flesh and was declared to be the son of God in power according to the spirit of holiness by his resurrection from the dead, Jesus Christ our Lord. He's not just a man descended from an earthly king. He is king. He is Lord. Jesus is not merely the son of David. He's the son of God who comes to make things right again. He comes to restore all things and he conquers by his life and his death and his resurrection. So Jesus here is addressing the false doctrine, the false beliefs of the religious leaders and people are listening. They should have believed in Christ as the son of David and therefore put their trust in him as Christ and Savior of the world and as Lord of all. Verse 46, and no one was able to answer him a word, nor from that day did anyone dare to ask him any more questions. The Pharisees cannot answer any of this, but Jesus can. Jesus can answer. He's David's Lord because he is the very Son of God. And they should have known it. They had heard testimony of it. Matthew chapter 17. Behold, a voice from heaven said, This is my beloved Son with whom I am well pleased. Matthew 16, verse 16. Simon Peter himself replied, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Matthew 17, verse 5. He was still speaking when, behold, a bright cloud overshadowed them, and a voice from the cloud said, This is my beloved Son with whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. To love God with all of our heart, and soul and mind includes seeking him, includes seeking the truth about him in his word. I can't say that I truly love someone if I do all of the talking. I can't say that I deeply care about someone with all of my heart, with all of my soul, with all of my mind, if I never stop and listen and learn who they are. In this encounter in the text, Jesus teaches disciples to read the Old Covenant Scriptures, the ones that exceed expectations for any king, any priest or prophet, and to find their fulfillment in Jesus, that He is everything. Everything. 
Whose son is the Christ, the Messiah? He's the son of David and the son of God. He is Lord of all. He is so gracious. Think about the context here of this text. He's so gracious. The religious leaders ask difficult questions designed to trap Jesus. That's their goal. They want to trap him. They want to trick him. But that isn't what Jesus is like here. Jesus asks difficult questions then and now to liberate, to set free. If they would have listened, he would have freed them. He would have saved them. Their questions are hostile towards him, but he, his lead to truth and to grace. Consider the heart of his question. What do you think about the Christ? Christ is all. Christ is Lord of all. What do you think about the Christ? If we're going to love God, we must answer this question correctly. Because God said, this is my son whom I love. Listen to him. So just in our last bit of time together, I just want to focus on some of the things. There are so many more. Dive in and read them. But some of the things that the Bible says about the Christ and ask, do we truly embrace him? Not just a version of him that we're comfortable with, not, not just a version of him that we like best, but what the Bible says and what that then means for our lives. First, the Bible says that Jesus the Christ is the way, the truth, and the life, and that no one comes to the Father except through him. That's John 14, verse 6. It's the context of Jesus telling them that he's leaving, he's going away, and he's going to prepare a place for him, for them. And if he goes and prepares a place for them, then he will come again and receive them, receive us to himself. And in the context of that, one of the disciples says to him, how do we know the way? And the answer that Jesus gives is that, I'm the way, I'm the truth, I'm the life. What do you think about the Christ and how is that displayed in your living? Are you living as if Christ is truly the way the truth, and the life. Second, we see the Bible says that Jesus is the only possible mediator between God and man. 1 Timothy 2.5, for there is one God and there is one mediator between God and men, the man, Christ Jesus. Are we living, believing that the only way to have access to the Father, the only way to communicate with the Father and to have a right relationship with the Father is through Christ. The Bible says that Jesus is the Word made flesh. In John 1, 14, 
that he's the very word of God in human form and that he dwelt among us. Is that how we're living? Is that what we think about the Christ, that he is fully God, deity in flesh? And if he is, then what he says has more weight than anything we will ever read, embrace, look at, think about anything. The Bible says that Jesus never changes, that he's the same yesterday, today, and forever. The Bible says that Jesus was wounded for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities, that upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. It says that in Isaiah 53, verse 5, are we living in such a way that we believe our only hope of sanctification and righteousness in the presence of God is through Jesus Christ and not one single thing that we can do to earn his satisfaction. Not one decision, not one choice that we can make that will make us an ounce more pleasing or beautiful in God's sight. Only Christ can do that. Only his work only his sacrifice. The Bible says that Jesus is the resurrection and the life that whoever believes on him will have eternal life. The Bible says that the most important thing for us to believe is that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures, that he was buried and was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures. Is that what it looks like is the most important thing that I believe? The Bible says that at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Some will wait until they stand before him to bow. Does my life look like that? That I believe and that I embrace that every single knee will bow before King Jesus. The Bible says that Jesus is coming again as King to judge the living and the dead. 1 Timothy 4.1 The Bible says that those who believe in him will be saved and those who do not believe in him will be condemned. John 3 the Bible says that Jesus, the Lord, is seated at the right hand of the Father and his enemies will be put under his feet. It's our text today. The Bible says that all who call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. Whether I vote like them, whether I look like them, whether I go to the same schools as them, whether I live in the same country as them, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord, will be saved. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your mind, with all your soul. The Bible says that Jesus is Lord of all. So what do you think about the Christ? And what are you doing in light of that? We're going to move into a time where we take the Lord's Supper. 
Christ is seated at the right hand of the Father, having accomplished all that the Father sent him to accomplish. And the climax of his work was the resurrection. He was crucified. He was treated as if he had committed all of the sins of everyone who would call on his name. His body broken, his blood shed. All for the forgiveness of our sins. And he was raised that we might be justified. And we rejoice in these truths. We do not just give verbal assent to them. We don't just half-heartedly take a piece of bread and drink some juice. We joyfully embrace these truths and trust in him as we do that. We believe what the Bible says about the Christ, that, that he is who he says he was. He is what the Bible describes. And that is how we approach the Lord's Supper. And that's how we love the Lord our God with all of our heart, with all of our soul, with all of our mind, even in the taking of the bread and the cup. And so let's prepare our hearts, trusting in him who is worthy of honor and glory and praise. Let's pray. Father, we praise you and we thank you for Jesus. We're nothing without Christ. as Paul proclaimed Christ is all we're lost without Christ we're hopeless without Christ yet we confess Lord there's so much of our life that is lived as if it is dependent on us so Father help us Help us not to look at a text like this with our eyes fixed on the Pharisees and what they might say or not say, Lord. Help us to think deeply about Christ and to ask ourselves the same questions. And help us to embrace, Lord, who you are. We pray in Christ's name. Amen.
I didn't realize that Tony was going to just to spend some time talking about just the nature of Jesus, because that's exactly what I plan to do. <laughs> um, so oftentimes we come together, as you all know, and we remember the body and blood of Christ on a weekly basis, but it's important for us to not just remember the activities, but also to remember just the nature of our Lord, especially as we just sing, sang this song, for Jesus to be at the center of our lives. This is why. In Colossians 1, he is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things. In him, in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. You guys, that is our God. That is the one that laid down his life for us. That is the one that, that humbled himself to the point of death, even death on a cross. It's one that is holding all things together. I read that verse and I think, my body would explode if he did not hold all things together. He holds everything together. And he's the creator of all things. And he loves us so much that he emptied himself of that glory and became like us and paid the penalty for our sins. And it goes on. It says, For in him all of the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. And you who once were alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds. He is now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. If indeed you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard, which has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven. So you guys, I want us to just to approach Christ together, remembering his broken body and his blood poured out for us, just embracing just how high and exalted he is and just the, the great lengths he would take to lower himself and then become sin on our behalf. This truth, you guys, is what compelled me to Jesus. I was absolutely blown away that this really happened. That the King of Kings and Lord of Lords, the one who made all things, would empty himself and become like us. That's how much he loves us. So let's take this bread and remember that broken body that was broken for our sins. Let's take the bread.
And let's take the cup and remember the blood of Christ that was poured out for us. Let's pray. Lord, we need these truths at the forefront of our minds day in and day out. God, you know, you know, God, just how we operate. You know our weaknesses, our vulnerabilities. You know how quickly we can forget about your preeminence and your honor and your glory. We can forget that you are the center, that you are the one who is to invade every corner of our lives, that our lives are not autonomous, that we are under your authority, that you are the King of kings and Lord of lords, not us, not some official on this earth, God, you. And Lord, we want to reflect that. We want to live lives that prove to the world that we are your disciples. And so I pray, I pray over this body. I pray for each individual, whether they are following close with you, whether they are drawing near to you. God, I just pray, Jesus, that you would give us all eyes to see who you truly are and to live our lives in light of that reality. God, I also pray for the humility that you, being above all things, would lower yourself and become a servant to all. God, I pray that our church body would be marked by that. Lord, that we would not look at ourselves as too good or too elevated. God, that we would humble ourselves and serve the needs of all peoples, God. And so I thank you. I thank you for your example to us. Now help us, Jesus, to be faithful. Help us, Lord, to live our lives as though every knee will bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Give us the courage and the boldness to proclaim that truth to the people that you put in our paths this week. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Have a good week, everybody.